Welcome to the June edition of Information's Crossroads podcast. I'm John Burke, America's editor for Information. And today we take a broader view on the telecom space in both the US and Brazil. Joining me today is Brett Lindsay, president and CEO of broadband provider Everstream, a portfolio company of AMP Capital. Uh, John Mock, partner and managing director at Digital Colony, uh, head of global data center strategy. And uh, he worked on recently an acquisition of Brazilian-based data center owner Scala data centers um, at the end of April. Also joining me is information news editor Matt O'Brien and our Brazilian reporter Gabriela Valente. All right, thanks, John. Thank you for that. Uh, good afternoon, Britt. H how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, no problems. Um, my my first question. I I would like to know you know the dynamics and drivers behind fiber optics as a defensive play during the pandemic and what's more than likely an economic recession. So when I think about it from an infrastructure fund perspective who are typically investing in very hard assets like air, airports, uh, parking garages, toll roads, things like that, uh, the opportunity that communication infrastructure gives them is it's virtually both recession proof and uh, COVID proof. And what I mean by that is no matter what is happening in the kind of whether it's socioeconomic, economic, any of the indicators that are going on, the having infrastructure in the communication space is something that kind of just steadily performs. Uh, and, and, the, and the beauty of it is that it's also something that's growing exponentially. So when you look at fiber specifically, it is the only mechanism that allows for all of the key, what I'll call tailwinds behind the communications infrastructure space. So if you want to deploy 5G, that requires fiber. If you're going to build the new biggest data center, whether that's regional or hyperscale, it requires fiber. Uh, if you're going to be moving things as an enterprise customer to the cloud, that requires fiber. Uh, the, the data center business, especially on the regional level, has kind of, you know, they've been talking about the death of the regional data center and everything's moving to the cloud. And that's just, that's just not true. What we see with enterprise customers is they're wanting a fiber asset that connects all of these things together for them because they're using different systems and software and applications that require fiber. So from our perspective, fiber is one of those future-proof assets because nothing is coming behind it and people can talk about 5g all they want which is great and is an amazing at, at making an end user experience better but it's not going to drive corporate networks it's not going to be something that replaces fiber optic networks that are used by every large carrier and enterprise customer across the globe interesting so it's the connecting tissue for this whole ecosystem of, of telecom infrastructure data centers and, and, and towers etc interesting um yeah we we've seen a flurry of activity of, of fiber investors either building or acquiring fiber networks so one of the things i, I want to know is what what's fetching a premium between dark and lit fiber and, and if you could explain why so do you mean from the standpoint of companies that are being acquired, what, what has more value when somebody's acquiring that company or just the, the value of the services? I guess it, from an acquisition perspective. Okay, sure. So first off, you're not going to buy telecom assets or the telecom assets are not going to drive high value if they're not fiber rich. And what I mean by that is if they don't have dense fiber networks that are going all through a specific area. So pick Cleveland, Ohio as an example. In, in that market, we have several thousand route miles of fiber 
that are stitched across 59 separate counties servicing five separate what would be legacy telephone company operating companies. And so for us, by having kind of this ubiquitous fiber footprint in that market, somebody that's looking to acquire a market would say, okay, great, that, that's a rich asset. You've got lots of fiber, it's dense, it's able to reach customers, it's available for providing services to the wireless carriers, as well as the more traditional wholesale provider. So having fiber is key. The difference between a business that's doing a lot of business and dark or lit is really just on the customer base. And so I, I think what you're, what you're seeing is uh, for, for an Everstream, for example, less than 3% of our revenue is driven off of dark fiber. Most of our revenue is off long-term contracts with enterprise and carrier customers that are paying a, a monthly committed amount for years into the future. Um, on, the, on the dark fiber business, you may have some of that. So for example, Zayo, does a lot of business in the dark fiber space. And, and that's good because obviously it drives, you know, a lot of monthly recurring revenue and they're very long-term contracts as well. Um, but you're also, you don't have as many customers to go after buying dark fiber as you do buying lit services. If you think about every business in America is paying for lit services to someone, an AT&T, a Spectrum, a Charter, Comcast, whomever. And so for us, when you look at investing in a business like an Everstream or a First Light or a Segra, some of these other companies that are similar to Everstream, mm -hmm. you look and say, okay, what is the size of the opportunity? And so if I'm a infrastructure fund looking at the communication space, I want to understand what are the size of the markets that they're in? What does their fiber footprint look like? And then what is the total addressable market in those cities so that I know, gosh, you know, Everstream and brand new markets that they just built out only have, you know, a small point, a you know, few points of market share but they've got two and a half billion dollars of total addressable market share that they can go after over you know, the next five years. And so I think these infrastructure funds are looking at these assets saying, okay, great. They, they check box our asset classification, long-term assets, in the ground, physical assets, but the growth trajectory in the communication space is so much more significant than it is in airports. You're, you're not going to be able to like go do something at your airport and all of a sudden increase your revenue by a hundred percent. That that's just, that, that is a very kind of slow growth sector, very safe, but kind of a slow growth, mm -hmm. but maybe right. not so safe when you have something like COVID happen, obviously. So what we've seen in the communication space, you know, going through the recession in 2008, going through COVID, going through what I'm sure is going to be an economic downturn across the U S that's not slowing my business down. Uh, and I think so a lot of infrastructure funds that don't own communication assets are going to be looking at that uh, in a more meaningful way because they're witnessing other infrastructure funds doing well with them. Understood. Gotcha. Uh, along those same lines, um, what are, more generally speaking, where are the big risks and challenges the, the industry is facing as it uh, looks to grow its network through organic or acquisitive, acquisitive activity? You know, I think the challenges some, sometimes are fairly self-inflicted. So from my perspective, if you're in the communication space and you have fiber assets and you're not growing, then you're doing something wrong. Because if you have fiber assets, the, the growth and, and need for the services is growing exponentially every year. So you really have to have the will to grow your business and you have to have access to capital. Mm -hmm. So if you look across our sector, the businesses that are doing the best are clearly the ones that A, have active sales forces, have dense, rich fiber networks, and have an amazing capital partner. So for us, having the partnership that we've had with AMP, where effectively we're coming to them and saying, okay, great, we have a 
you know, we have an existing business model that's working very well. You know, we went to them and said, we have a greenfield market opportunity for you. We believe we can replicate exactly what we've done in two states and take it to, to uh, eight uh, by going and building fiber networks on our own. And, and we're going to even seed those markets by looking for small bolt-on acquisitions. And so that's what we've done. In almost every market that we've gone into, we've tried to find a small bolt-on to, to pick up a customer base, some talent, some small amount of assets through that acquisition, and then continue to invest and build off of it. And that's allowed for us to, you know, in a very short time frame from, you know, a year ago, kind of early 2019 to now, to have gone from effectively two markets to now eight cities that are up and running with sales forces, building fiber, delivering revenue and, and growth. And so um, it really gets down to, uh, I think, the team and your access to capital uh, and and the challenges are really just can you find the people to drive the business the way that you need to? Okay, gotcha. Do you have any uh, additional views on on industry consolidation in the fiber industry? You know, going forward, definitely think it's going to happen. I mean, you know, there's been rumors uh, going back to February of this year that you would see, for example, of the kind of larger regional carriers. So you've got EverStream in the Midwest, and you have yeah. Bluebird kind of in the kind of Midwest. But and 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 further west, you've got right. Segra that's kind of in the mid-Atlantic and southeast. Unity's in the southeast. You've got First Light up in the northeast. And so all of us kind of come close to each other, but don't cross into each other's territory because it doesn't really make sense. We, we there's no reason to compete against somebody that's just like us. You want to be going after the business with AT&T and Charter and those folks. So I would imagine at some point you're going to see some further consolidation. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these, every one of the transactions that I just men mentioned are now owned by an infrastructure fund that has <laughs> yes. a fairly long-term horizon. And so are they really going to go buy something else that, you know, changes their, their market dynamic and their expectations for that specific investment? I'm not sure. Um, and, and I think you're frankly going to see as those businesses come up for sale uh, that you're going to have new infrastructure players that don't own assets in the U.S. coming and, and bidding up those multiples as well. Uh, so I, I don't know that if I was to give you my crystal ball view, I don't right. think in 12 months you're going to see, you know, half of those people, you know, getting married and, and uh, becoming one. I, <laughs> I, I think you're going to see over the next 24 months that most of us are still kind of going our own way. Uh, I see. Well, something for us to to keep an eye on for certain. Now, uh, Brett, you, in early April, you and I talked about the credit markets remaining open for for fiber companies. Do you has any of that changed since then? Since we last talked about it? No, I mean, you know, so we closed uh, on our most recent debt financing on April second, I believe it was, and you've seen a couple other large data center deals done. Um, there were a few people that maybe scaled back their asks during the middle of you know, really the, the beginning of the COVID epidemic. Uh, but on a go-forward basis, I think you're starting to see the markets kind of open back up. And, and really, there's just so much demand in our space. And, and because of the kind of this whole um, aura around 5G and, and what people know is going to have to be just a massive amount of capital investment, when people are talking about winning contracts to provide those types of services, those are very bankable. I mean, you know, folk, folks are excited to put money to work in those because, you know, they're, they're dealing with big, great customers, i.e. AT&T, Verizon, Timo, uh, and, and they view those as a great credit risk. So the opportunity to put money to work in companies like ours that are building key infrastructure that supports the carriers, which they're all excited about. And then when we layer in a mix of enterprise businesses, and again, good credit risk, large customers, long-term contracts, um, it feels like a pretty safe place to be. 
Gotcha. Well, you know, what about going forward? You know, we've heard bankers cautioning their clients to get into the market now because of the extreme uncertainty stemming from, you know, COVID-19 and maybe the related economic difficulties down the road that everyone's talking about. So what do you see happening with getting financing for, for fiber activity, for fiber builder acquisitions over the next few months and through the rest of the year? I think that it's actually going to be as straightforward as it's been for the last several years because these are very, and I don't mean to simplify, but very rote, repeatable businesses. You build fiber, you add customers, you build them, repeat. And and people that have been doing it well and can show consistent performance uh, are going to have the capital markets available to them. Now, if you've only got $5 million of EBITDA, it's probably going to be difficult. But when, when the bulk of the people that are out there that are actively growing are in kind of that you know, 50 to 100 to 150 million of EBITDA range, that feels pretty safe and secure. And when they've got a big backlog of pent-up demand from customers, they know that money's going to immediately be put to work and that it's for success-based capital use. I, I don't think there's going to be an issue getting funding for those endeavors. Gotcha. Makes sense. I mean, I, I think, well, obviously the COVID-19 epidemic has had a significant impact on a lot of businesses. Uh, if somebody is thinking about the impact on the communications infrastructure space, uh, it, it has been very minimal. I mean, we're all considered essential businesses. We have kept our offices open. We've kept our people working. We're, we're actually built more fiber in the month of April than we've ever built um, because, frankly, there weren't as many people on the roads and there aren't as many people, you know, next to the telephone poles and all the things that we have to do. So I think we've seen in general across our sector, a pretty massive amount of investment going into the ground in every area of the country uh, while this has been happening and that's not gonna be slowing down. So um, if anything, I think with, when something like this happens and more people are working from home versus their office, the, the demand on that infrastructure is, is getting uh, you know, even bigger than it was. Uh, and, and so I think you're going to see both enterprise customers and carriers continuing to invest in their infrastructure because they want to be better prepared for the next time something happens. And so we've seen an uptick. We've seen better bookings in Q2 uh, than we had in Q1. And I don't think that would have been expected. I think people would have figured that people are not making decisions. They're kind of, you know, hunkered down waiting for this thing to pass. And instead, we're seeing people really starting to think about, okay, how do I make sure that this these types of things don't negatively impact my business. And we've seen a bigger uptick than we were expecting. Wow. Interesting. Well, Brett, thank you so much for that input. Much appreciated. Very valuable. Um, and, and John, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, great. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking the time today, uh, Brett. Um, and my pleasure. <laughs> so thanks for that. As deal flow in the telecom space increased in 2019, it was apparent that the drive for data center growth was increasingly was increasing in Europe, and there was also more room for growth in core Latin American geographies as well. Uh, hence, um, the Scala data center sale, um, which took place um, at the end of April. Here to discuss this and other trends is uh, Gabriella and John. With that, I will let you guys take it away. Gabriella, uh, go for it. Hello guys, John, thank you Thank you for joining us. I'd like to discuss, uh, start this discussion by discussing the local market. So why invest in Brazil data center market? And I know you guys are already uh, expanding the business. So what kind of growth opportunities do you see over here? Well, Gabrielle, thank you very much for, uh, for inviting me today. Um, you know, we are, 
uh, have been watching the Brazilian market as part of a broader Latin American strategy for some time. Um, the interesting thing about data centers and the local market, as you mentioned, is we see a real growth opportunity. You know, stepping back and thinking about the opportunity here, data centers is probably more closely tied to the growth of the digital economy, if you would, the use of digital content, digital applications, um, you know, mobile devices, video um, versus the broader GDP index. And so while the market currently might be having a, a stutter, right, with everything going on in the world, we're actually seeing significant growth around this digital content, this digital transformation. If we think about some of the metrics we're tracking, you know, Brazil's GDP is 3.5 trillion. So it's a, it's a substantial business, the seventh or eighth largest market in the world. When you think about how digitally engaged the market is, it's number two or three for Instagram, number three or four for uh, Facebook globally. It's very engaged around this sort of digital content. And so that's why we think that the market has a real growth profile that we can capitalize on. The last thing I would say about our broad strategy here is we're looking at the growth of content, as I mentioned. We're seeing demand for incremental infrastructure. And so some of the largest uh, cloud and content platforms globally that we work with across our platform are actually pushing us to expand in Brazil and expand across Latin America as a way to give them sort of a trusted partner to deliver content in those markets. And so we think that Brazil is actually underserved today when you look at fiber, cell towers, and data centers specifically. Mm -hmm. So how would that expansion um, be like? Are you planning uh, inorganic growth, inorganic? Uh, how are you plan to to finance new new acquisitions, or are you looking for a partner? Maybe. Great question, um, <laughs> and I would say broadly the answer is yes. Um, you know we are um, in the business, and so I'm a, a partner, uh, as they mentioned, at Digital Colony. We're a global platform focused just on communications infrastructure. So we look at all the component parts of the plumbing, if you will, for the internet. So whether it's Google, Amazon, uh, or another entity, uh, you know, we try to be the agnostic provider of the, of the infrastructure they need to deliver their content to, to the consumer. Um, we're growing uh, through development of new campuses. Um, we always like to build from the ground up where we can. Uh, we are looking at M&A opportunities, ways to tuck in and accelerate our growth. Um, we're thinking about different markets around Sao Paulo, or different markets around Brazil in addition to Sao Paulo, and actually other markets in Latin America. So again, um, I jokingly, uh, the answer is yes in terms of how we would look at that. We really try to be thoughtful in every case about how we create great returns and really build a good business. You know, we, um, as much as we look like a private equity firm, we're really business builders and we try to partner with strong management teams to give them the resources, the best practices, the Rolodex, and the capital needed to grow. Mm -hmm. And you are pretty much focused on Sao Paulo region right now. So what region would be the next one inside Brazil? Yes, yeah, Sao Paulo was a, a natural place to start. I mean, as I mentioned, Brazil is the gravity of the, uh, of the uh, economic engine of Latin America. And Sao Paulo is approximately 40% of the GDP of Brazil. And so that was a natural place to, to begin. You know, we look at other markets uh, in Brazil When you move up to Campinas, for example, or Fortaleza, where they have um, uh, the subsea cables coming in from many markets, or Rio de Janeiro, which is a smaller market, but a really interesting and important market. When I think about other markets outside of Brazil, uh, again, there's a number of neighboring country opportunities, whether it's uh, Colombia or Chile or uh, Mexico or potentially Argentina. 
So again, we we think that while Brazil is a very different market, a different language, uh, and a very independent and proud culture, uh, the region really is underserved, and there's an opportunity to provide a solution uh, for infrastructure really across Latin America. Mm -hmm. And we are in the middle of this um, pandemic with the COVID-19 crisis, everybody's working at home. Uh, this situation somehow increased the assessment of opportunity for you to invest in Brazil? It did. We began this conversation with Wall last year, um, so mm -hmm. it wasn't something we did very quickly. Uh, we worked with them very closely to carve the business out, and we're proud to have Wall and the group of companies there as a client going forward in the business, and so excited about that partnership. But as I mentioned, we began looking at this uh, last year, well before the COVID crisis, uh, but we had confidence and moved forward in the transaction, as did they, and we were really glad that, that they were comfortable closing the transaction despite the global volatility. What's interesting about data centers, and when you think about the impact of COVID, there's a lot of things that are coming out of this, but I believe one thing that's really impacting my business and the business we have on infrastructure is there's been a step function of demand. It's really proven out the resilience and the importance of this infrastructure or this new digital economy. We're seeing substantial growth in uh, fiber traffic. We're seeing applications like uh, video uh, conferencing programs like Zoom. They're growing several thousand percent in terms of new users in a month. Um, we're seeing demand really across all mobile devices and across fiber routes. And all of that content is moving into data centers. And so data centers are really benefiting from that as well. And from an investor standpoint, we're seeing company, our investors really migrating and pushing their capital to safe markets around data centers. It feels like a, a, a safe harbor uh, over the last several months in terms of the market volatility broadly. So I think investors are aware of that sentiment. So there are a number of investors that have approached us about asking to participate uh, in, uh, in thinking about how we grow our business on a global basis. Mm -hmm. It sounds really promising. Do you see any challenges ahead? Well, you know, um, I, I, always, uh, I always try to look around corners um, uh, and think about what could go wrong. Um, you know, fundamentally, uh, you know, we think this is an important business. We're, you know, we're, we're, we are the point where the technology meets the dirt and meets the buildings. So there's a very local component to it. So we want to be a good partner. Um, uh, there's significant energy that's used in these buildings. We want to be, a, you know, use energy thoughtfully and try to make sure we have a green or carbon neutral footprint where we can. Mm -hmm. Um, we try to make sure that we always deliver the best quality service and make sure that we are customer uh, focused on the customer solution, because at the end of the day, we're providing a service uh, to our customers. And, and if we don't deliver on that service and meet their expectations, our customers will go somewhere else. And so, you know, look, we feel very fortunate to be in a growing business uh, and well positioned uh, during this significant digital transformation, if you will, the broad economy. Uh, but we don't take it for granted. So I we saw that you established Scala as, as hyperscale. Um, you, when looking at expansion, um, are you going to be looking strictly on hyperscale or are you looking to mix it up at some point between hyper and edge uh, down the road? It's uh, a really good question. Um, so I would say for the, you know, it, it's almost if you can imagine a hub and a spoke. So right now we're focused on these hub locations, which are very sizable campuses where you get scale power. And we work with very large cloud platforms, very large enterprises. You know, that's our scale, hyperscale strategy. Um, we do uh, in other markets have edge businesses that are focused on working with customers to deliver uh, either modulars or, uh, or, 
you know, data centers and sort of developing markets or tier two, tier three markets. And so we will look at that strategy, always trying to sort of be aware of where the market's going um, uh, and sort of have to make an assessment. So whether that's the same business, a sister company that actually has a lot of the same customers and benefits or overlap, uh, I think we'll have to determine that over time. So I don't really have a view yet, but I would tell you that we are uh, uh, keenly focused and watching that market as it develops across Latin America. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and then um, looking at uh, the development of data centers, it's always good to get a, a check-in as to um, where things are in terms of renewable initiatives and partnering with um, um, solar and, and you know, renewable, sorry, renewable developers in terms of powering the data centers. Is that something that's starting to grow within your footprint and from, from a Greenfield's perspective? A great question and very topical. Um, you know, we have a program around trying to sort of, you know, give back to the community. We just announced, in fact, um, uh, yesterday that our, our uh, tower business in North America has gone completely carbon neutral. And so we're very proud of that fact. Um, we've also made very large acquisitions um, uh, on this, around this strategy globally. We just did a uh, 180 megawatt campus in Europe. It's the largest data center campus in Europe, and that is uh, completely uh, green and carbon. It actually adds back, so it's carbon neutral. Um, and so we are definitely focused on this as part of the strategy. I think what's interesting about uh, green as an initiative and renewable energy is while it was something that companies were thinking about and talking about for many years, I believe now they're making economic decisions to, to actually effectuate that change. So our customers are asking us and telling us they would prefer to be in a green environment or, or prefer to have a renewable footprint, energy footprint where possible. When we think about partnerships, we are doing stuff uh, in partnership with uh, utilities that can provide us the best um, mix of power possible. We've done some projects with solar companies. Um, I would say the, the, the sometimes still it's hard to scale of renewable energy like solar to, to the scale that we need for the data centers. You can imagine, uh, you know, we measure data centers in tens of megawatts, um, and a megawatt could be worth or equal to a thousand homes. You know, it could be a very substantial community. And so to create the, the, uh, the solar energy generation to support that can be difficult, require a very large footprint. Interesting. Yeah, we've obviously observed a trend in our coverage of the Latin American markets that uh, renewable projects are, are getting done, you know, even yeah. with the economy struggling right now. So that's sort of what um, got my focus on that. All right, good stuff, John. Thank you uh, for joining us today. I uh, really appreciate uh, your time. Um, and uh, please uh, tune in for next the next edition of the Crossroads Podcast. Workout. I, I definitely will. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me, and I will uh, look forward to hearing you guys soon. Great. Thanks. Thanks.